It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. Today on the show, we're going to get a little crazy. I've got a wild name that I want you to consider for the Atlanta Hawks. And Arnold Ebikedi, what's the expectations for him this year as a rookie for the Falcons? And should we be concerned about Marcelo Zuna? I'm going to give you his numbers from both the last couple of years with the Braves. A lot to get into here today. It is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. And we welcome you into another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to youtube.com, put our Locked On Sports Atlanta into that browser and find the channel, subscribe, leave us a review, tell us what you think about the show. And of course, I ask you to follow me on my Twitter page. It is at JMCH316. Several things we're going to get into today. Let's start with the Atlanta Hawks. Obviously, a disappointing year for the Hawks. And we talked yesterday about the idea that I think Travis Schlenk is going to make a big splash move. I, I think that they're going to go bold, that they sort of held serve. They didn't really make any moves and everything just kind of, you know, stayed status quo because they came off the Eastern Conference final run. And I don't think they wanted to upset the apple cart too much. Well, turned out that that maybe wasn't the best strategy, but, you know, Travis Schlenk sort of admitted they have to upgrade. They have to get better, right? So we understand that. And we've talked about the idea of they have to add a star player into the mix. Now, we've bandied about lots of names, you know, and a lot of them I don't like. I don't like Zion Williamson. I don't like Carl Anthony Towns. Um, talked about Rudy Gobert. I'm not, you know, not that I don't like Rudy Gobert's player, but I don't know that that upgrades your franchise. That You know, we have a poor man's Rudy Gobert and Clint Capella, so I've got a guy that plays good defense and can get me 14 boards and 14 points, you know. Gobert maybe is a couple points, rebounds more, but nothing you know, significant enough to, to drastically change my team. I like the idea of Donovan Mitchell, if you could be into that sweepstakes and, and get something like that. But I'm going to go back to something that Nate McMillan said in the exit press conference that they did. When talking about how to upgrade this team and one of the things they may have to do, he specifically brought up the idea of, maybe a point guard that would be ball heavy that would take some of the pressure of of handling the ball off of trey young and using trey young more almost like in a shooting guard role coming off screens a lot more off ball movement not being so ball heavy and so ball dependent and i thought it was interesting when he said that because that's really not something that anybody has really talked about like that's really not been hard to imagine the idea of Trey Young not being the guy who's always got the ball in his hand and always facilitating and scoring and all those kinds of things. But it made me think just a little bit. Now, look, this is all rumor and innuendo, and I'm just doing some speculation, okay? But, but I'm going to throw this out there to you. He's got a player option available that... There's a real good chance that he won't pick up. 
ideally he would like to probably re-sign with his team and he's talked about trying to win 60 games a year and be a part of his organization but questions about whether or not his team would want to give him a pretty big and good extension to stay there the guy that i'm talking about is kyrie irving what would you think about kyrie irving here with the atlanta hawks now hear me out for a minute hear me out for a minute okay first off he does have a player option that's available to him so if he picks that up that's 36 million dollars that he's got so let's say if you want to work out something as a trade with the nets could be a sign and trade but you're talking about a guy with a player option of 36 million that you do have some pieces that you could send back to the Brooklyn Nets and you could make that work, even if it's only for a year. Obviously, you could sign him to an extension. Now, I know that the Nets can offer him more than anybody, but given what happened last year, and let's be honest, all the crazy vaccination status and things like that, he's not going to run into that in the state of Georgia. He's not going to have to worry about home or away or this or that, whatever, because he only played 29 games for the for the Brooklyn Nets. And he did come out and say 29 games, by the way, 27.4 points per game, 5.8 assists. He did come out and say, by the way, that he thought there was a definite possibility that the Nets were going to release or trade him, you know, last year. So do the Nets want to go down another year of this or extend him and this that, and the other? Eventually, they think they're going to get Ben Simmons back. They obviously have Kevin Durant. They gave him a big extension. They have a few guys of their own roster that are free agents that they probably look to bring back. I'm not saying that they're going to get rid of Irving. I'm not saying that he's, and, and by the way, he's talked about maybe the idea of not picking up his player option simply for the fact of negotiating a, a long-term deal, right? Like some of those extent, like part of the James Harden deal was he had to pick up his player option for this year, which is good Lord, 47 million or something crazy like that. Kyrie's 36, not bad, but maybe he feels like he could get more on the open market. If you brought Kyrie Irving in, and I know people are going to scoff at this, you are talking about a guy that's got a championship pedigree, and he was a definite factor in the Cleveland Cavaliers making their runs and being an NBA world champion. I'm not telling you he's better than LeBron or anything like that in those days, but don't think for one second that he wasn't a key component in why the Cavs were so good. Now. You look at those numbers I mentioned, 27.4 points per game, 5.8 assists. You could switch that role a little bit, where in this offense, okay, his scoring isn't as important as his distribution, okay? So you could see his scoring come down some, but his distribution assist total go up. And if you could bring that here and you could get him to work in that system, you could do a lot worse. So if you're going in the Nate McMillan direction of, hey, let's find us a high caliber point guard that can handle the ball and let Trey work off of screens, work off ball, get the ball to him and let him do it like that. Maybe Irving is a guy that you could do that with. Now, you're gonna if, if you want to keep him, you're going to have to pay him some money because he's going to be valuable on the open market. Say what you will about Kyrie Irving and the craziness, and I understand all the things that go along with it. But if my organ, if, if, if I'm the Hawks organization, 
and I'm trying to not just get better, but bring in some championship pedigree and a guy who can be a difference maker for my team. Because say what you will, Kyrie Irving played pretty well against the Celtics. Kevin Durant was awful versus the Celtics. I mean, the reason that they just about won that game one as bad as Durant was, because Irving was magnificent in that fourth quarter. He still has those moments in him. So not so much worrying about Tuesday night in November against the Orlando Magic, but when we talk about getting into the playoffs and we talk about a guy that if you need to lean on him and he has to be a complimentary piece with Trey, he can do that. And I said, he's got the pedigree and things like that. Now, look, you start getting into these level of players. You want Donovan Mitchell. You want Kyrie Irving. You want Zach Levine. Brother, you're talking about you're going to be in the luxury tax. So if you're going to go in the luxury tax, you want to bring in high caliber guys. I'm not going into the luxury tax to sign Victor Oladipo, who commands just enough money to put me in the luxury tax, but doesn't really give me anything for my franchise. You want to make a splash? You want to make this franchise different? You want a guy with a pedigree of having won an NBA championship? You want to switch up the philosophy a little bit, like Nate McMillan specifically said, of, okay, let's bring in a point guard, put Trey on the two, let him run around, work off ball, and get his offense that way. I'm just saying, I know it sounds crazy, and I know it's probably crazy, because I'm sure at the end of the day what's going to happen is this. He'll opt out. He won't take his player option. The Nets will sign him for four years, because they can offer him whatever. Four for 168, I think, is like a minimum type of deal that they can that they can give him. So they can they can pay him a boatload of money, obviously. But if the Nets decide that this is not the direction they want to go, I wouldn't mind seeing the Atlanta Hawks get in all that crazy talk. I know, crazy, I know, but a man can dream a little bit, right? All right. When we come back on the show, what are the expectations for Arnold Ebicati as hmm, he may be your best pass rusher? on the roster and he hasn't played it down in the nfl lots of pressure but we'll talk about it next it's hitting hard with john chuckery from locked on sports atlanta welcome back into hitting hard with john chuckery here on locked on sports atlanta we ask you to head over to our youtube page youtube.com put in locked on sports atlanta into your browser find the page very easy to find hit that subscribe button tell us what you think about the show leave us a comment give us a review of it and we'd appreciate everybody listening also don't forget my twitter page is at jmch3 one six. Falcons drafted Arnold Ebicati in the second round of the NFL draft. They actually were at pick 43 and they traded up. They gave up their fourth round selection to move up five spots to draft him. Now, Ebicati is a guy who is an interesting project. Couple of years at Penn State, he played at Temple and transferred over to Penn State. And he did make the most of it. His final year in college, nine and a half sacks. He definitely was an impact player. Spent a lot of time in the backfield, blowing up plays and things like that. He comes into a team right now where you can make a case that he's your best pure pass rusher. I know they got Lorenzo Carter, but he's, eh, you know, he had four sacks in like his last five games. I don't know how much of a pure pass rusher that he is. Obviously, Dante Fowler has gone. The great Steven Means is gone. Blah, 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 blah. They ain't got a whole lot of guys. Miss me with Comiskey and, you know, people like that. Hey, they ain't got nothing out there. So he steps in with two things. One is he steps in probably as your best pass rusher. I don't think there's much doubt about that. But two is, to me, he steps in as the rookie that has to prove it the quickest and has the most to prove. Why? 
because for all the Drake London stuff, with all due respect to wide receiver, five things have to happen for Drake London to impact the game. Okay. You have to get the stamp off. Your quarterback has to read. The offensive line has to block. The quarterback has to make an accurate throw. And then Drake London can make a catch and make a play. So five things have to happen before Drake London actually even makes an impact on a play. Even Keedy pins his ears back and whoop right upfield and let's go. Okay. So I think there is a lot of pressure because there is going to be expectation. So what are those expectations? Do any of y'all know what the rookie record, the rookie sack record is for the Atlanta Falcons? Who has the most sacks as a rookie in franchise history? This is a pretty sad state of affairs when I bring this up, but the answer is Mike Pitts. In 1983, was drafted out of Alabama and had seven sacks his rookie year. I remember this because Tack McKinley a few years ago when he was drafted, he was making a run at the record. He only ended up with six sacks. Now, there's a quick caveat. Let me sidebar for just a second. There is a quick caveat to all of that. The sack statistic was not made official until 1982. So everything before 1982 is an unofficial statistic. Pro football reference has gone back and researched and done a lot of legwork on putting together some sack numbers of guys. So we do get a sense of the reality of years gone by. So Claude Humphrey, when he was drafted, I want to say 68, he had 11 and a half sacks his rookie year. That's the number that's attributed to him. So if you go to like pro football reference, they they certainly list Humphrey as the all-time sack leader for the Falcons, but they may also list him as the rookie. I don't, I don't know, but I'm... I'm just giving you the, the straight skinny. From an NFL record perspective, sacks didn't come along as a stat recorded and official until 1982. And in 83, Mike Pitts set the record. So it ain't much. Could Ebicady best or break that record? Sure. Am I expecting him to break or best that record? I'm going to say no. And, and I, that's not a knock on Katie. I just, I think I've gotten so soured on our pass rushers and drafting guys and signing guys and free agent guys and guys we expect to take a step forward, guys we think that can do something in the league. Honestly, if you told me that Katie pulled in five or six sacks this year, Tack McKinley had six his rookie year, I'd probably call that a success. If I could get five or six sacks out of him, I can get maybe five or six sacks out of Carter. I can get some sacks here, some sacks there, sack of this, sack of that, sack of Julia, whatever. If I can just have a little bit of all that, maybe the Falcons can move up a little bit. From a team perspective, the Falcons had 18 sacks in 17 games, okay? I would realistically say that that would be impossible to replicate. It would literally be impossible to barely average one sack per game this year in the NFL when the whole league is designed around sacking the quarterback and getting after him and all that kind of stuff. So I expect the Falcon sack number to go up. Do I think they can be 30, 35 sacks? No. Can the Falcons get to 25 sacks? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a realistic number. And I think a definite part of that comes from maybe Katie you know, finding a way to get himself six sacks. Now, look, 
he sets the rookie record, gets seven or eight sacks, I'm going to be jumping for joy. You know, we kind of laugh and joke now about Vic Beasley and his lack of production and things like that. Brother, wouldn't you love to have a guy who's eight, eight and a half sacks right now in the roster? I mean, think about how bad our roster is right now, sacking the quarterback. I'd kill to have Vic Beasley give me eight, eight and a half sacks right now compared to Steven Means and his no sacks in 14. When you have a guy in the league that starts and plays 14 games and his job is to sack the quarterback and he ends up with the same total as me wearing my Steve Austin what shirt, okay, when we end up with the same sack total in an NFL season, that's not a good thing. So there's going to be pressure. How do teams defend him? You know, you've got Grady, you've got Carter, you're going to have your linebackers running all around. I think it's going to be interesting to see how teams attack Ibikati because he is going to be looked at probably as their best pass rusher. And I'm hoping that's how Dean Pease uses him. I don't want to see him drop back into coverage or do any sort of crazy thing like that. He is looked at as a stand-up 3-4 outside linebacker, defensive end type of player in that system. That's where everybody projects that he can thrive and do well in. So I'm not trying to knock what his production can be. But honestly, if I have a guy come in as a rookie and pick me up five or six sacks, I'll feel like that's a good jumping on point for a team that has been so bad and so deficient at it. For a team that has been miserable at sacking the quarterback. And that is their... Number, I don't care about what you think about wide receiver, this and that. Their number one bugaboo as to why they don't win in the NFL is they have no line of scrimmage play. They can't disrupt anything on their defensive line of scrimmage. It's why you see the video clip of Grady Jarrett being triple teamed in the Detroit Lions game. Go watch the video clip, listen to his commentary where he talks about they had three guys that were on Grady Jarrett. Three guys for one guy. What does that tell you about the, what the rest of the roster is? Because that should never happen in the NFL. No player should ever be – even Aaron Donald won't get triple teamed because they know that you've got too many guys. I mean, over the years, you know, you've had Quinn or this guy or that guy, that foul or whatever. You've had too many guys that could still be disruptive. Even they don't triple team Aaron Donald. But Grady's been triple teamed. So I'm hoping for, you know, let's say six sacks out of Ibikati. I think teams are going to try to take him away because he is a legitimate pass rusher. I'm hoping he breaks the rookie sack record. I'd love it. That would be a stat that I would love to see. That would be my favorite stat of the year that would be broken, would be Eba Katie comes in and sets the rookie sack record and has that mark, and we can move forward, and maybe he becomes a double-digit sack guy in his next year. All right. When uh, we come back on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, um, thoughts about Marcel Ozuna? Give me some numbers about what he's done since he signed that contract coming off the amazing pandemic you know, season, and is there any reason to be concerned about him? It's all next on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked on Sports Atlanta.
We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Welcome back into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to our YouTube page and check us out there. Locked On Sports Atlanta on YouTube. Subscribe to the uh, page. Uh, tell us what you think. Give us a review. You know, check it all out. Leave us a comment there. And asking you to follow me on my personal Twitter page. That, of course, is at JMCH316. Remember when Marcelo Zuna was a pretty good offensive piece uh, for this team? Let's go back in time, way back in time to the pandemic year of 2020 when the Braves brought him over from St. Louis, signed him to a free agent contract, a one-year deal. He came in and had a monster year for the Atlanta Braves in the pandemic year where it was only 60 games, 267 plate appearances, which led the league, by the way, 228 at-bats, 14 doubles, no triples, 18 homers, which led the league, by the way. 56 RBI, which led the league, by the way, with a 338 batting average, 431 on base, 636 um, slugging percentage, and a 1.067 OPS. Won the Silver Slugger as the DH in the National League, finished sixth in the MVP voting. And with that, the Braves decided to reward him with a contract. Not a big dollar, not a, not a huge, what was it, like six for or I'm sorry, it was like a four for 84 or something like that. Wasn't a huge money contract. I mean, it wasn't wasn't a whole crap ton of money that they signed him for, but nonetheless. So you had him in the mix and you felt pretty good. Then 2021 comes along last year. Gets off to a slow start. Doesn't get a whole lot done. Um, on a slide heading into third base against the Red Sox, he breaks one or two of his fingers and is out. And then, of course, the domestic issues come up. He gets, you know, basically told, stay at home. Don't come back for the rest of the year. We're kind of putting you on the exempt list or whatever it is that, that, that he went on. And then in the offseason, you know, after all the investigation, everything like that, baseball decides that, hey, um, he served his penance. He's not going to get suspended. We don't see anything more to do, whatever like that. So he comes into this year, and and I knew that he would be part of the Braves organization. Brian Sicker even said, hey, look, we're, we're good. You know, we've moved past it. He's, you know done his time, you know, he's repented, whatever, whatever. Okay. So forget all that. We're, we're past all that comes into this season. So last year in 2021 did not get off to a, a very amazing start. 208 plate appearances. So think about that. He was only 55 plate appearances less, sorry, no, uh, 59 uh, plate appearances less year over year. And only had seven homers, 26 RBI, six doubles, hit 213 with a 288 on base, 356 slugging, and a 645 OPS. Okay, slow start, didn't get a lot going, this, that, and the other, beep, bada, boop, gets hurt. Okay, let's start fresh this year. Ozuna this year leads the National League in games played. He's played in all 27 games this year. 113 plate appearances. He has five doubles, no triples, four homers, 10 RBI, and he's hitting 224 with a 257 on base, 
383 slugging, 640 OPS. So let's put all of that together. Between last year and this year, 75 games, 321 plate appearances, 295 at-bats. He's got 11 doubles, 11 homers, 36 RBI, hitting 217 with a 277 on base, 366 slugging, and a 643 OPS. And by the way, in 295 at bats, he struck out, uh, sorry, he's struck out 68 times. He has more strikeouts than hits, 68 strikeouts to only 64 hits with only 23 walks. Now, this goes back to something that my producer at the time on my radio show, Jarvis Davis, and I used to discuss about Marcelo Zuna when he signed that deal. What Marcelo Zuna am I going to get? Am I going to get the Marcelo Zuna that had the big year with COVID, right? Am I going to get the Marcelo Zuna that when it was time to be a free agent in 2017, had 37 homers and 124 RBI and hit 312, okay? Or was I going to get the Marcelo Zuna that in a couple of years in St. Louis, you know, 29 homers one year, 23 homers another year, 88 to 89 RBI, hit 281 year, but 241 in the 320s on base, only in the 430, 470 range in slugging. Well, right now, I'm getting the guy who was okay, but nothing special in St. Louis. I'm not getting the COVID uh, Marcelo Zuna. I'm not getting the final year of my deal in Miami, Marcelo Zuna. Now, I brought this up at the time. Part of the COVID year, Marcelo Zuna said this, that he used that downtime for COVID to get himself in shape, lose some weight, get his body right, working out, getting himself ready. So it wasn't a matter of spring training or any sort of thing like that. He used that extended period where they didn't play baseball to really get himself in shape. And it showed, you know, sixth in the MVP, silver slugger, led the league in homers and RBI, couldn't do anything wrong. Since then, eh, you know, 217 with a 277 on base percentage in 75 games played. Basically, you know, you're talking about, you know, half a year's worth of games. Is there some concern? Yes. Yes, because he wasn't getting it done last year and he's not gotten it done this year. Now, it's not about, you know, the domestic dispute and things like that. You can like Marcelo Zuna, not like him. It doesn't really matter to me, okay? You can you can not like him because of his personal choices, this and the other. I'm more worried about the baseball player. And I'm wondering about whether or not we have our legitimate cleanup hitter. Because the way that this lineup works right now is, this is with Ronnie back. Ronnie hitting leadoff, high on base guy. They're using Matt Olson in that two spot that the downside is I'd lose a lot of his production the upside is I have a high on base guy. And Snitker, I think, prefers in that two hole. Give me the high on base guy. He used Freddie Freeman there. You know, he experimented with a lot of different people, but he seems to like that high on base guy. So I've got two high on base guys at the top of my order. Then I hit what I think now is my best all around hitter in Austin Riley. Well, maybe not his best all around hitter, but since Olsen's high on base is going to hit two, we're going to put Riley in the three. So my guy that's got power, average, this, that, and the other, maybe doesn't walk enough, whatever, that's fine. I mean, so we're going to put him in the three spot. 
And then we're putting Ozuna locked into that cleanup spot. And Ozuna is your traditional cleanup hitter. A good bit of homers, drive in some runs, you know, just can whack the ball all over the yard. One of the things that made Ozuna so good in 2020 was his ability to go opposite field and use all of the ballpark. You know, he'd have so many times in at-bats where it'd be a grounder through the right side, where he was patient, took what the pitching gave him, and, and used that to his advantage. Haven't seen that same guy. You know, haven't seen that same guy. And, you know, his strikeout numbers in 2020, he struck out 60 times in, in, two, in 228 bats, had 60 strikeouts. Okay, look at some of his years in St. Louis and in Miami. You know, even in his big year of 37 homers, 124 RBI, 144 strikeouts. Early in his career with Miami, 164 strikeouts. Um, he wasn't bad as far as strikeouts go in 18 and 1910, 110, But part of that is he only played 148 and 130 games. So while he is healthy, and he did miss a, a lot last year, but this year he's played every game, and he's leading the league in games played, and so far so good, the production isn't there. And I don't know how long you ride Ozuna in that cleanup spot because they're a team right now that is not good with runners in scoring position. They've at times been offensively challenged. And I think ideally you'd like to have somebody that can better regularly protect um, Austin Riley in your lineup because you don't want to see teams start to take the bat out of Austin Riley's hands. So I don't know that they have an answer for that either, by the way. I, Duvall's not done much of anything. He strikes out way too much to be a cleanup hitter. Ozzy's probably not quite there yet. I don't think Darno is an ideal candidate. I mean, although he kind of hit cleanup from a couple years ago, but I don't know that they have a lot of better options right now in that cleanup spot. But they've got to get Ozuna on track. He's got to be a linchpin in producing runs because the top two guys are going to be on base a lot. And your three-hole hitter is going to have a pretty good amount of on-base as well. So I do have my concerns about Azuna. It's not been a good past couple of seasons for him, both on and off the field. But if the Braves are going to become that lineup that we think, I think a lot of it has to start with Marcelo Azuna and getting back to some of that form we saw in the pandemic here. All right, we thank you so much for being a part of our show today, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. Thanks for making us your first listen. Don't forget, make your second listen. My friends at ATL Day Ones, Jarvis Davis, Nitra Batiste, just a couple of friends that are talking about things in the you know heart of the city of Atlanta, Bulldogs, Falcons, Hawks, you know, Braves. Take your pick. All kinds of stuff going on there. Great show. Uh, step into the conversation. Stay a while. ATL Day Ones, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. Free and available everywhere you get your podcasts. And as we said, head over to youtube.com, put in the browser Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give us a, a uh, subscribe there. It's free, easy to do. Just hit subscribe, leave us a review, tell us what you think, and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. We will be back with you tomorrow on a Friday edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. This is Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members. 
You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.